subscribe and rate it. Five stars. Good day, Bobo. Is this Cliff? Tis I. I thought that was you. It is. Lucky you. And lucky to our listeners, because this is another episode of Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and the Bubs. What's going on, Bubs? Anything fun going on before we jump into the show? You know, we had Joe Perdue on, and I checked out his video. I didn't. I thought I was waiting for him to hear. Like, I thought he was going to let us know he's releasing it. And I oh yeah, well, his- let's push back up because people may not know about this. We had Joe Perdue on a few weeks ago, but um, that same week, remember Joe was kind of pushing this event that he had the following weekend. That following weekend, one of the one of the things they did at the event is they did training sessions out in a, out in the woods in a likely Bigfoot hotspot. They had an audio set, uh, a station, and then I, it sounds to me at least like that maybe a little further down the trail, there was a night vision station, and then a little further down the trail, there was a thermal imaging station. They seem to have gotten footage at the thermal imaging station. Um, talk about coincidence and wackiness, but yeah. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. I mean, it's, I haven't seen any of those exact measurements yet, but they did it in the day. This thing was down there at night with no lights on a steep, like 80-degree incline. Joe said they needed to go back in daylight with repelling gear to get down to it. They found some prints. They found one that was, that was the one not castable or something. It was too much water or something. Oh, no. Well, yeah. Well, actually, uh, um, yeah. So they, they seem to have gotten footage of something. It was uh, something obviously upright. You can see this footage. It's on the, the Wild and Weird or the Weird and Wild West Virginia um, YouTube channel. I, I can't remember which one comes first, Weird or Wild. For me, Weird comes first. Every time. I guess Weird, Weird, Wild West Virginia. Okay. There you go. You can see the footage on there. It's even nothing you, you can write, nothing to get too excited about. It's behind a bunch of brush, but you can see it. It's clearly upright. It's clearly bipedal. No other options besides a Sasquatch and a human, and the circumstances strongly point to Sasquatch. Yeah, it's walking on a cliff. It's, it's a cliff face, and it's walking parallel. I mean, you don't see it walk far. You see it take like one clear step, then you see it take another. It must be a step because it keeps moving in that direction. But you see that one clear thigh, knee lift up and go over. And it's, it's, it looks like, I mean, it looks like a squatch to me. And especially when you consider it was night with no light on an 80 degree slope and they needed repelling gear to get down there in the daytime. And the initial observation was it was huge compared to Joe and Joe's six four two eighty. Yeah. I spoke to Joe, um, a day or two after he, uh, um, got the footage and uh, kind of going over what was going on. And he said, I asked, of course, you know, me like, well, um, did you cast, were there any footprints? He goes, oh yeah, there was a, there was a really interesting footprints. Cool. I can't wait to see the cast. He goes, oh, we didn't cast it. I go, Joe, what's up with that, man? Because Joe's a caster. He'll, he'll cast whatever's there. Hey, what's up with that? He goes, well, people were touching it and stuff. People get accused of hoaxing or something like that. I said, dude, screw those people. Screw those people. You know what happened. You know what really happened. Go back and cast it. He goes, oh, maybe. And then um, he goes, and I said, well, how did the recreation turn out? He goes, well, we couldn't get to the spot. We were about 20 feet closer to the camera than the thing was. And I said, so you didn't, it's no good. He goes, and, uh, and so I, 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 be, I think basically what happens, I shamed him into going back. <laughs> I feel a little bad about it, but I don't in another way. So he actually did go back the next day. He called me back. I'm going back 7 a.m. tomorrow. I said, good job, Joe. And he went back and um, he cast that footprint. And I'm, I haven't seen the cast yet. I'm looking forward to it. He found several other footprints as well, which is why I wanted him to go back. And he, he used ropes and rappelled down to the location. And again, um, no final numbers or anything, but it's looking like the thing is really big. So yeah, new, new thermal footage by one of our guests, Joe Perdue. I talked, I talked to him uh, after he did. He goes, 
Yeah, Cliff. Cliff really, uh, you say, castigated him for not going. He's like, "Yeah, I'm going back tomorrow." <laughs> I'm like, "I'm like, you got like, how could you? Of course, you got to go. You got to get down there. You would do whatever it takes." He's like, "Yeah, Cliff's been, Cliff gave me a lot of crap about that." Oh, I went easy on him. I, I want to, for the record, I went easy on him. Um, so, Joe, if you're listening, I went easy on you. You're lucky, uh, but I'm glad. You, I, I'm glad you crumpled like a house of cards, though. Yeah, uh, he, he he didn't take much prodding. I mean, he knew he knew he had to go back there. Of course, he's a he's a sensible man. Yeah, yeah, I like Joe a lot. That's great. I mean, how, how serendipitous was that? He was on our show, and then what? Four days later, they get footage. Well, it'd be that a lesson to anybody who who uh, might be a guest of ours. If you come on the show, you're likely to get footage within a week, almost guaranteed. Yeah, pretty much. Bobo will guarantee that. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's about it. Yeah, nothing super squatchy's been happening up here necessarily. Um, been making some videos, learning how to do that sort of stuff for the shop. Um, had an interesting piece of footage across my desk from a long-term witness I know, but it turned out uh, it was a misidentified um, other animal. Um, so my museum members will get to see uh, our investigation into that pretty soon. But other than that, man, been kind of quiet as far as Bigfoot goes. We're getting tons of emails though from people all over. Yeah, yeah, and you know, um, our Patreon folks are, um, are are seem to be really, really enjoying the extra feature Patreon podcasts that we're putting out. I've gotten a lot of good feedback on that stuff. Yeah, one friend of mine told me that like I'm loving this new stuff because um, I thought you guys were kind of edgy to begin with, but like this is just irreverent. Go to uh, Patreon.com/slash Bigfoot Beyond Podcast and see what we're up to, man. Five bucks a month and help us out. You get an extra forty five minutes a week. There's five minutes. There's uh, five episodes in the can that you can listen to right now. And yeah, one a week from here on out. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty pleased about that, though. The feedback's been really nice. We really appreciate our members. Um, That is so cool of you guys to help us out like that. So thank you so much. All right. We've taken enough time, I think. Uh, Why don't we jump into our guest today? Um, A guest, of course, that everybody out there in the Bigfoot world knows. Or if you don't know about it, welcome to the Bigfoot world. You're going to learn about this guy today. I was trying to do a theremin, like a spooky sound. Oh, I was going to say, what you doing, bubs? <laughs> so I speak <laughs> theremin. Ooh, you can just talk over it, Cliff. <laughs> okay, very good. Yeah, so today uh, we are more than thrilled to welcome back Lyle Blackburn, a prolific artist uh, um, as far as his music goes, but also an amazing Bigfoot author. He has written quite a few books about Sasquatches and some other stuff as well, lizard men, like that kind of thing. We've had him on the podcast before, but he has a brand new book out that'll be of particular interest to people in the South, um, but elsewhere as well, because uh, um, his book has a lot of details about an area that is often ignored for Bigfooting, but there's absolutely no reason to. So um, his new book is called uh, um, Texas Bigfoot and Lyle. Welcome back to Bigfoot and Beyond. We're looking forward to talking to you about Bigfoot in Texas today. The man in black. That's right. Yeehaw. Thanks for having me, guys. Are you our, are you third on this or is this second? I believe this is my this is third. This is third. You're our first first third time of appearance. That's what I thought. I thought you're our first triple triple guest. Well, that's awesome. I I love this is my favorite podcast of all. So anytime you guys ask, I'm I'm on. Well, that's saying something because you have a podcast as well. So you actually value our podcast more than your own. That's really <laughs> that's right. That's a fantastic endorsement for our podcast. <laughs> I try to be hum- humble, you know. Of course, <laughs> I have a bias for my own, but they're they're in a you know. I, I don't want to be uh, too too uh, claiming that mine is is the greatest. It, it probably is, but <laughs> but you're my favorite. 
Has Matt Moneymaker said that yours isn't a piece of shit? That's what he said about ours. Did he say that about ours? He said it isn't. Oh, it is not a piece of (laughs) shit. (laughs) That's a a really like reverse great review. (laughs) What is it? It might be his his default mode. You know, it's like, well, this one is not a piece of shit. So So that's that's all you can hope for. That's your greatest endorsement right there. Well, I'll take it. That that actually is in, an interesting endorsement. So, that's, that's, uh, good from our buddy Matt. And how is it? By the way, how, before we get into the book, how is the podcast going? What's how are people re- responding to it? And is it growing and all that sort of stuff? It is. And you know, when I the last time I was on, I just had released that first episode um, of of the podcast Monstro Bizarro is the name of it, and uh, I just won best new podcast. Um, from the Paranormality Magazine Podcast Awards, and uh, so yeah, I mean, in the feedback too, you know, everybody's been saying they love it, the way the the format and everything, and so now I'm on. Let's see, I'm on episode six, and I, I got to thank your listeners. No, you've you've got like seven or eight out. Sorry, seven. <laughs> Even I don't know. I love how uh, Bobo's correcting you. That's uh-huh. <laughs> by your own podcast. Bobo is is our fact checker. God help us all. But yes, I you know so when I had you got when I was on the show the first time, um, I noticed a, a a decided bump because a lot of the Bigfoot and Beyond listeners went to check out that first episode. So uh, big thanks to the audience, and ever since then, it's been growing and growing, and so much great feedback. Yeah, yeah, and for our listeners, it's not like ours. It's not like two morons talking to each other and having guests on every once in a while. It's it's really it's it's this, this more narrative sort of thing with Lyle's like smooth, silky voice guiding you on a tour of the historical events um, surrounding particular incidents. Um, so it's an entirely different format, and it, it's really really cool. It really takes you on a journey through history and um, into into the nitty gritty of some of these Bigfoot and other thing events. So. With the with the creepy themes and the sexy voice, I get my panties in a bunch and wet at the same time. I guess that's a good endorsement. Yeah, we, we, yeah exactly. If, you know, if we're going to use yours, my favorite podcast, by Lyle Blackburn, podcaster. You know, so if we're going to use yours, you can use that one. I think <laughs> gets Bobo's panties in a bunch. I'll work on that ad real quick to incorporate. That. Yeah, the last one was great. The Bishopville Lizard Man. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's fun. You know, to kind of lay out these cases in the audio format because some of these are ones I've covered in books or otherwise um, written about or explored in other ways like in our small town monsters films but um, this gives me a chance to just really lay out the story and and kind of include that ambiance that spooky music and all the other stuff that kind of you know highlights the you know the spooky nature of running into some unknown creature out there and you know, in a remote swamp or wherever you are. What's your best-selling book so far, like most popular? I would say The Beast of Boggy Creek, the, the oh, okay, yeah. book. It's still quite a good seller, and it's just, you know, the subject matter with The Legend of Boggy Creek. So it has, you know, fame even beyond Bigfoot just because of the movie. But right. uh, it, it's still, you know, in a consistent way, it's still been the bestseller. Okay, that makes sense. And how many books do you have out now? Eight. Eight. I'm on number eight, I believe. Yes, and uh, and so Texas Bigfoot just came out recently, and it's uh, probably in September. I'm guessing. Yes, September. And how the sales been pretty good so far? Good response. Yes, it's been excellent. 
I underestimated the uh, initial orders because I'll do them on my site and you can get them on Amazon. And then I then right after that, I did the Texas Bigfoot Conference. So, yeah, I found myself reordering back to back, just trying to get enough to, you know, fill the demand right up right up front. So I knew it was, awesome. you know, good out of the gate and it's been selling well even, you know, since then. So And your website, of course, is lyleblackburn.com, right? Right. Okay, very good. So yeah, well, Texans are so supportive and so cool and fun and enthusiastic about it. And, and you know, there's something I, I've noticed about Texans. They seem to love Texas. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So if you're going to write a book on Bigfoot in Texas, you know, there's going to be a big audience for that one. Yeah. Now I right. just got the books into the uh, at North American Bigfoot Center this past week. So I haven't had a chance to actually dig into it yet. So pardon my ignorance on your book and all the other topics that I tend to talk about. I'm rather ignorant on most things I talk about. But uh, so walk us through the book, I guess. Like, uh, how did you um, organize the book? Did you start like with historical sort of things as one would imagine, or did you do it another way? Well, yeah, you know, and that that was trying to figure that out early on was one thing I I had to do because it's such a huge state, you know, that it's got to be broken up into some, some form or fashion and not necessarily just some chronological. So what I did was break it up by different areas. And at the beginning of the chapter, I'll include a map so that people know where we are uh, in our journey. And, but yes, the first chapter, I kind of just talk about all the old stuff, you know, because there's uh, sightings of of what we would consider Bigfoot-like creatures dating back to the early 1800s. So, um, and, you know, there's less of those. So I kind of cover those up front in the first chapter. Um, and talk about even uh, one of our famous uh, heroes, Davy Crockett, who had sort of a strange Sasquatch story and kind of, you know, sets up the Texas thing. And then there beyond, I just sort of explored the uh, river basins and the different wooded areas. And then, of course, Texas is big. So you got everything from an arid desert-like environment to in the West, all the way over to the thickly uh, wooded, swampy areas of the far eastern areas. Uh, have you ever been down there or get re- many reports out of that big bend, that national park along the Rio Grande on the border with Mexico? Have, have you got stuff? Because uh, I know that's a huge illegal smuggling spot for black market goods and all that. Do you get reports out of there? You know, there's a few um, reports. And, you know, I, I even interviewed a woman oh several years ago that sort of had uh, somewhat of a sighting down there, but it's probably less of a hot spot, I would say, than than most of the other areas. So there, there's not just a whole lot out of that. It just looks so good. I know there's so much uh, thermal authorities got so much thermal vision gear going on down there. I thought maybe like you might you know hear stories about oh they saw something huge you know and they're looking for Ill- illegal crossings or whatever. Well, you know, I'm sure it, that they have seen stuff and, you know, in the within all that other chaos of, of trying to manage the border. But, um, you know, whether those stories make it out and get into the general public or make their way to me, uh, you know, I haven't found any any really good ones to say that, you know, the authorities got something other than a smuggler on thermal. Or- right. They may not recognize it anyway, because looking through a thermal at a biped in the distance, it'd be really hard yeah. to nail, out, nail down the size, you know? 
Right. It's so much interference because you got all these people and they are wearing backpacks and all this other stuff. So, I mean, if a right. Bigfoot decided to come illegally into our state, he would, that would be the place to do it because he would, you know, blend in. Right. Yeah. yeah and, and, um, of course, uh, uh, thermal imaging is great, but it's really hard to, uh, judge size. And I, as an example of that, I think in one of our Finding Bigfoot episodes, maybe Connecticut, like Renee and I were going, what is that? What is that? I was like, I don't know. And the closer we got, we realized, oh, it's it's a mouse in a tree. And we're thinking it's like a deer or something in the distance. Um, it was ridiculous. Um, you mentioned something about uh, uh, how reports may or may not come to you. Are the reports that uh, you included in the book, are they your own personal investigations or did you um, go to other resources like other researchers or the BFRO database or something like that? Or how did, how did you manage that? Well, there's there is a portion of those that are ones that I've fielded over the years and interviewed people or, you know, in most of these areas I've visited personally, at least in terms of, you know, the geography. Uh, but what I wanted to do is for each of the areas that's sort of a hot spot and that sort of a thing, I really wanted to include what I thought was the best um, you know, the most interesting, the ones that represented the most credibility, the ones that kind of had a range of stuff, not just, you know, woods, sightings in the woods, you know, ones where they were in the roadways or ones where they left footprints. So what I had to do was just consult all the different, um, you know, things that have been published. So there's, you know, some of the older ones, I've got all the newspaper articles that detail you know, flaps where uh, little towns would have a lot of sightings. And then, of course, you know, there are the databases. There's there's some BFRO reports, but um, one of the major things I included, and I worked a with my uh, colleague here and, and good friend, Craig Woolheater, who founded the Texas Bigfoot Research Center many, many years ago. And, you know, so that he had, he provided me with um, access to a lot of the old reports and database. And that way I could sift through and find what, again, what I thought represented, you know, the best of big, documented Bigfoot cases in Texas. And sometimes I could find those witnesses and, you know, and talk to them myself. Sometimes you just could never find them, you know, or the email address was was no longer valid. But uh, fortunately, you know, guys like Craig and some other researchers had had been doing this even before me. So I was able to get that full breadth of of, of the history. And, and that's the purpose of the book is this is the history of Bigfoot in Texas, not just, you know, me and my experiences only. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. Where's the most unlikely place you got to report that you found credible? Like, because uh, I remember when uh, at the Texas Bigfoot Conference, I met those guys from Southwest Texas Bigfoot Research, like they're called. They're from like San Antonio, like in West, out that way towards El Paso. And they had, like, he, sh he had 28 reports he had written down. He showed me on the map where they were all marked. And I was, you know, looking on Google Earth where, where it looked like, and I was like, man, that's pretty unlikely looking at some of those places out there. I mean, not to the, to the untrained eye, it would be like highly unlikely, but knowing what we know about Bigfoot and having been, in New Mexico and Arizona, a place like that, I know they can offer it in the desert, but that's, uh, so what did you, did you uh, find any reports out there that you found pretty compelling? The ones I, I thought were the most surprising where there were, you know, uh, credible reports were mostly up in the panhandle and that's, okay. you know, that Northern part of Texas, that area in, 
in San Antonio um, down in there, while that's starting to get out, so, you know, into the Western landscapes, it still does have, you know, a lot of woods and, and areas where we would expect perhaps these creatures to be. But when you get up in the panhandle, it, it's very wide open. I mean, the landscape, and I include pictures in in pretty much every chapter of trying to show, you know, what the landscape looks like, um, pictures I've taken over the years. Um, and the panhandle, there's one particular incident that I found in the database where um, three motorcycle riders were driving just sort of one of these desolate highways up there through the panhandle, and something ran out into the roadway. And the first guy sort of didn't quite see it. The second guy saw it and sort of swerved, and the third guy nearly hit it. And then those guys pulled over you know, and, and sort of, you know, trying to figure out what they had seen. Uh, so I was pretty surprised to see a report like that because again, it just isn't a place where you think you would see these creatures. There was also this other crazy tale about, uh, this guy that claimed he had shot a, or shot two Sasquatch up there. And this was something that was kind of well known because this guy had been on coast to coast with Art Bell. And uh, oh yeah, this his name was Bugs, and I'm sure yeah, you know, um, you know those all came from that that area of the Panhandle where um, I hadn't personally no one had ever told me of an encounter there, but I was able to find some just again because I'm trying to document all the areas, and then there's a portion where I'm just sort of like, this is <laughs> this is an area where you don't think you'd see a Sasquatch, but there are reports. So who knows? You know, they could be traveling through or whatever um, the case may be. But those were the surprising ones. And e- even out west in near El Paso, there's a area called Horizon City. And that's known for this so-called Horizon City monster, sort of a, a Bigfoot-like creature that's been reported not not only back in the 70s, but I actually found a guy who claimed to have a sighting a lot more recent. So it was kind of bookended by that. But again, you know, it's those areas where you would think you would never see a Sasquatch, but those are kind of some of the really interesting ones in the book. Well, of course, El Paso is right on the Rio Grande. And um, something that one of my big takeaways from finding Bigfoot all those years is that Sasquatches live in very unexpected places. Um, You know, and uh, the Four Corners episode is a good example of that. Because it's, it's straight out desert desert for as far as you can go except the river areas and when you get those rivers um that's gives uh ample opportunity for good habitat and sasquatches can thrive in there and it just a quick i mean I'm, i have a map out in front of me I, i'm looking at a, a map of texas as we speak because i'm not i'm not super familiar with a lot of geography there um and sure enough just north of el paso area there's two national forests the the gila national forest and the lincoln national forest that aren't that far from um, the rio grande so it seems very Possible to me. I don't see why not. So. Do you get do you have any reports on the Rio Grande Valley down there, Lyle, or is that just too much human traffic? Not much out of there. That that's the definitely the less stuff. There are there are reports, and certainly, like Cliff says, you know, usually these are going to be on some sort of river way or river basin when they are. But I mean, right. there's just again you know I, I i did actually have two chapters dedicated to basically the central portion of texas and all the west but i mean you know by and large the majority of the bigfoot sightings are all to the in the eastern portion where you have the piney woods which 
obviously makes more sense and, you know, looks as we would call it squatchy. Um, so that, you know, the Rio Grande and all those areas, just sightings, credible sightings are kind of few and far between. Right. Now, to the far east is obviously the best Sasquatch habitat, and, and the far west isn't very good. What, how do those two population densities compare? Because, of course, to have a sighting report, you have to have a human there. There might be a ton of Bigfoot somewhere, but there's no people. You're not going to hear about it. Right. You know, I don't have that exact data, but just having driven the expanse of Texas, I mean, there's far more people in closer proximity to each other in the east than there is in the west. I mean, everything is much more spread out. So there'll be a town and there'll be some outlying houses and stuff. And then you could drive quite a good distance where there's basically nothing and basically no no trees, so to speak, to where these creatures could find some, you know, relief from the sun or, um, you know, seclusion. But when you get to the east, you know, it's it's so much more where the population is sort of intermingled with the wooded areas. You know, there's towns and then, of course, you know, big chunks of trees, but you're, you know, very soon you're in another town and um, just a lot more people and the way Texas is, a lot of the land is private property. The majority of the land is private property. So there's no giant expanses where you can just sort of seamlessly walk. You have to kind of go in these pockets of woods where, you know, the Sasquatch could just travel wherever it wants, obviously, but you got to stay out of other people's property. So, um, you know, the East is just, there's just more people, more trees, more proximity. So that also you know, is going to promote more sightings. More water. Yeah. I mean, the the uh, annual rainfall in the east is so much more than out there in the west. And of course, that rainfall results in more foliage, more, you know, big trees. There's a lot more lakes and creeks and all that stuff that we always see is like sort of the common ingredient in uh, Bigfoot hotspot geography. You know, and and when you look at East Texas, you just that's exactly what you see. And sometimes people who who don't live here kind of picture Texas more of that sort of a John Wayne movie where it's wide open and it's, you know, scrubby and, you know, spread out trees and all that stuff. And certainly that's part of the landscape. But if you were to drop somebody over there in East Texas, they'd be quite surprised. Oh, wow, this is Texas. I, I never imagined it'd be so so many thickets and woods and, e- and even swamps. Now, the, the sightings that happen in western Texas, in the desert areas, um, do you find as uh, um, um, that the sightings that come out of the desert regions uh, adjacent to the mountains are generally in the winter? Do you find that to be the case as well in western Texas? It seemed to kind of span year-round, but yeah, I would say, you know, that 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 could be said that there are colder times and times where um, it makes a little more sense because, yes, it gets very hot and very dry. And only creatures who are specialized to live in that area are, are going to survive there for very long. And, you know, conceivably, Bigfoot is not, that is not the prime, you know, home environment. So if those, they would be passing through and certainly easier to pass through in colder months than it would be out there in the hot because, 
you know, you, you get lost out there and have to travel too far without water and you're in big trouble. Yeah. Especially if you weigh 800 pounds, yeah. <laughs> exactly. so, which I do not yet. <laughs> you're getting there. I'm getting there. Right. Right. Okay. Let's just talk about the, um, the big thicket area in general, because when most people think about Sasquatches in Texas, that's one of the first places that comes up. The big thicket, uh, maybe just because it has a cool name, um, or maybe more stuff happens there. Do you find that that seems to be a, uh, a central area of activity? Um, and is it anything beyond just the general habitat, lots of trees and all that sort of stuff, or, or maybe just more people? Yeah, I, I think the big thicket is is just one of the prime spots where not only are are there a long history of sightings, but it just makes good sense because the big thicket is is a place where early on when when this this land was being formed a lot of the glaciers pushed a lot of different types of flora to that area so it's very diverse in the types of plants and a very unique looking environment and obviously with a name like big thicket you can imagine it's a lot of trees um, it's it gets pretty swampy out there, and makes it difficult for people to to get around in there as much. So, hence, would make sense that if a creature like this was looking for seclusion, this would be a prime place. And and I and I love the regional names people give them. There's uh, tales of of a bigfoot like creature that date back many years in the big thicket, and it's known as Old Mossy Back. Yeah, that's a cool name. I just love how. Yeah. Um, these regional names uh, come about because, we, you know, especially in the South, just think, you know, the term Bigfoot um, wasn't something that came to mind, even after, say, 1958, when it was, you know, kind of coined in, in the Humboldt Times. People here, you know, saw a big, hairy, ape-like creature. They didn't think Bigfoot. It was just either, you know, monster or whatever. And they gave them these cool names like Old Mossy Back. But uh, the Big Thicket, it's known for other phenomenon too. There's like uh, strange lights and and orbs and that sort of thing. So it's got other bizarre phenomenon associated also with the Bigfoot sightings. And And gators. Yeah, all in the east, uh, a lot of alligators. and, And over the years, there's more and more of the rivers out east that uh, you can find an alligator. Yeah. People are shocked to hear that when I tell people, like, yeah, like I said, this alligator had, you know, preserved, you know, it chopped off and with its mouth open, looking menacing. I had a head of one of those in there and be like, where'd you get that? I'm like, Texas. I always thought I was joking. Right. Well, you know, and people got to remember it, you know, the East runs right into Louisiana, which is, yeah. you know, the, the Bayou State where everybody immediately thinks of alligators. Well, that geography, just sort of blends together as you move further east in Texas, where you do have, um, you know, a lot more alligators and you have a lot more, you know, environment where they would live, like swamps and all that stuff. Um, and where you have, you know, swampy wooded environments, you, you tend to have Bigfoot sightings. Just look at uh, the Beast of Boggy Creek. That's what, 10 miles from Texas? Right. The whole Beast of Boggy Creek plays right into this because. The famous legend of Boggy Creek area, and Boggy Creek is part of the Sulphur River bottoms. They're near Falk, Arkansas, and the Sulphur River actually originates in Texas. 
And so if you you go back up, up the riverway into Texas, lo and behold, you find a history of sightings that date back many years and some of these documented and stuff to where, you know, if the creature is seen near Falk, suddenly it's the Boggy Creek monster. But if it's seen in Texas, you know, it could be called something else, not necessarily that connection, but, uh, you know, it could be one in the same sort of you know, population of these creatures that are moving around in that area. Um, and and I found uh, a witness that I actually kind of start off the book with this, who had a sighting in the Sulphur River Bottoms in the 1960s, um, just a kind of a spooky, dramatic sighting. And, and one where, again, the guy wasn't thinking Bigfoot. He wasn't even thinking Boggy Creek Monster because the movie wasn't out yet. So uh, sort of framework this that People have been seeing these things here for many years, and as you sort of analyze these in, in the way we do now, you see those patterns right along the river, like the Sulphur River bottoms, and to right Patman Lake, and then on down into Falk, and lo and behold, boom, you see this sort of wide area where these creatures can definitely uh, live and thrive. One of the rivers that kept coming up again and again when we filmed Finding Bigfoot in the area was the Sabine River. Um, how does that connect to all these other rivers? The Sabine is, is I think it's the longest riverway in Texas. It orig- originates in, in the northeast section and then meanders down and gains ground and becomes the border between Texas and Louisiana. And the Sabine River bottoms, when you get in kind of south Texas, and over to the east, I mean, it is just heavily wooded. And I've been down there, and I mean, even the mosquitoes are jumbo-sized. I mean, Bigfoot-sized. I mean, they were just eating us alive uh, the couple of times I was down there uh, canoeing on the on the river and, and doing some research. And, and just, uh, again, you just find this long history of sightings uh, right along the Sabine, both really both in Texas and then over in Louisiana, if you were to start writing a book about the state there, you'd find kind of the equivalent uh, just across the uh, banks of the river. And so that, you know, obviously, I mean, there's a whole chapter on, I call it Sabine things, uh, because, you know, some of the local, you know, stories talked about something called the Sabine thing, which the description was a Bigfoot, but again, they give them these cool, spooky regional names. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a hot spot for the for the Texas Bigfoot. Does that connect up to the Sulphur River in any way? Does one flow into the other, for example? Or I'm just kind of curious. I don't remember when I was up there. No, no, it doesn't. Um, they they're mingle in the Gulf of Mexico. Okay, well, fair they enough. <laughs> they would all both empty out into the Gulf, but they're um, but they don't cross paths. While doing research for your book and then digging into all these different sighting reports, um, what uh, if any um, did any unusual behaviors? surface and and not you know behavior specific to texas i'm not so sure that would exist but um one of the things i most sighting reports to me nowadays are a dot on the map where and when a sasquatch purportedly was um unless there's strange behavior it was doing something weird um which i really do enjoy those are the sighting reports i get the most out Mm -hmm. of my um did, did any uh any surprising behaviors or unusual behaviors uh, were any of those observed well, you know, of course, the majority are are the typical behavior, I guess. But there are some that stand out. Some of those are that um, the creature would be seen moving or running on all fours, and then sort of fluidly 
go to a bipedal stance or movement, which you know is is interesting just because most most animals are going to be one or the other or be best at one or the other, but they they seem to be able to do both. And it wasn't just, you know, one report. Um, there's a couple of reports in both cases. I know the witnesses personally um, that had these encounters of where, um, you know, they were running on, on all fours. So I thought that was an interesting thing and kind of gives it that, I don't know, a more, I guess, a bit of more primate feel to the description. Well, let me butt in for a second. And um, did any of these witnesses um, who observed the animal down on all fours happen to notice, and this, I, I wouldn't expect a yes, but you always got to ask, or at least I do, um, happen to notice whether the animal uh, um, was running on, like open-palmed on the ground or on its knuckles? Yeah, that wasn't, wasn't really noted. Um, you know, there, there, I included a sort of an artist's rendering of one of the sightings and it's sort of on all fours and it's kind of in a knuckle stance but uh and that was dictated by the witness so uh, i'm assuming probably that but you know as these as these things move quickly and you observe it, it it's harder to see those finer details and probably you know hard to tell unless you saw it for long enough and, and looked at all that but yeah, that I, I'm not too sure about. Well, I've talked I've talked to people that said that specifically when the things were running on blacktop asphalt, concrete, whatever, that their hands were up because they could distinctly hear them slapping. And then it seems like when they're in the dirt, you know, natural terrain, they're they're on. They're, when people have noticed, they've told me they're on their knuckles. Yeah, hmm. I only have one witness that uh, happened to notice that, and they said the knuckles is what they said. And of course, there's evidence as well. If they're on rocks and stuff, that would make sense. They'd have their hands. I mean, if if like you'd use your hands just if you're on, you know, rockier, like something's going to cut you up more likely because you, you can't really give, when you're on your knuckles, you can't really give one way or the other so much. If you're on your hand, if you feel a, like a pokey part hitting your hand, you can bend your hand around it a lot easier. Yeah, I'm sure it varies. I'm always interested in that. So. Yeah, I put a lot of thought into it. Thank you. <laughs> Get back to me on that one. Um, so any other um, unusual behaviors that um, you'd like to mention? We kind of cut you off there, so. Well, I mean, the other unusual behavior and kind of scary behavior is in a few of these where the creature displayed very aggressive uh, tendencies. And in one case, there's there's one that always stood out to me. It's a report from kind of the northeast part of Texas where a woman was out there and they had a flat tire and and uh, her husband had to walk back to town to get a wrecker, and she was just sitting there relaxing in uh, late evening, and she heard this really strange howl from the woods, and uh, you know, kind of perked up, but then you know, eventually relaxed, and then suddenly she sees three upright, hair-covered creatures walking from the woods, and in in just a matter of seconds, the larger of these which she presumed to be the male was tried to reach into the cab of the truck where she was sitting and and just grab her and pull her out and she sort of fought with this thing and ended up hitting him hitting him with a coke bottle <laughs> and uh, then they it backed off but you know those those are pretty pretty scary to think about and and uh, kind of harken back almost to the to the motif of the legend of Boggy Creek, where we see in the movie the the creature was aggressive or trying to get into houses. And there was even a report down there 
on the far end of the Sabine River where um, this was documented in some newspapers and was followed up by some police officers where a woman thought that a, a burglar had broken into the back of her house in this screened-in porch area. And uh, when the police came out and took a look around, they found that something had gotten in there and just torn up the whole back part of her house. And as they were investigating, they saw what they sort of described as a upright hair-covered thing running off into the woods. And so presumably this thing was not only trying to get in the house, it was in the house and then frightened off. And so those are the ones that, you know, you think... uh, I don't know. You you don't know what the motivations are for those creatures. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. In the reports that you were digging up for the book, how close to um, major metropolitan areas um, have these Sasquatch reports come from? Well, you know, it's not hard to get to wooded areas, as I, as I mentioned, in East Texas and, and places like that. So um, you, you wouldn't have to go too far. And the Sam Houston National Forest north of Houston is a place that's just uh, got a long history of sightings. And you could reach that relatively easily. Um, and, and some of my favorite stories and, and some of the stuff I've researched extensively occurred in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, mostly near Fort Worth, which is west of Dallas. Um, But back in the 60s, when it wasn't quite so developed there, even though Fort Worth was a huge city, but the outskirts were still a a little bit less populated. There's like the Lake Worth monster story of 1969. And then in and around that area, which is part of the Trinity River bottoms, there are older stories dating back to to the 1950s, 1930s, um, all in and around the place where now it's just, you know, it's just one giant city. Um, but certainly, you know, when when there wasn't the, as many people, it seemed like there were creatures that were that would be seen closer to to what we would consider big big Texas cities. Um, and then, uh, you know, like I said, if you if you go east, you know, the cities are so much more intermingled with the wooded areas that you know you could go you could go squatching you know 30 minutes away from some of these cities and and maybe have some fairly good luck well if if you're talking like the six major big cities and yeah i'm probably sam houston you're talking but i mean the smaller towns like 30 40 thousand they were like five minutes three minutes from town they were getting reports yeah, smaller, you know, smaller yet, you know, still substantial towns. I mean, yeah, you could just throw a rock to the woods from there and you you yeah. just, you know, you're traveling from one to another and you know, you go through a several several miles of woods between them, boom, you know, that's where a lot of those sightings come from, you know, even people driving the roads who see something on the side of the road, it stands up, you know, and walks into the woods. You know, they're not very far from from a city. One of my favorite areas in Texas um, to look into things, and I've gotten reports and even physical evidence out of, is Tyler, Texas. Um, I'm, I'm assuming there's quite a few things in there from Tyler because it seems to be a very active area. Yeah, in and around there, it's just all sort of part of that Piney Woods um, geography. 
And, you know, Tyler is, is one of those where there's been numerous sightings that have come out of the, there over the years. And certainly I cover that, that, in a major way through that area. And, and in fact, I mean, I sort of, you know, the, the scope of the numbers of sightings in, in certain areas with hotspots, you know, I could write two or three Texas Bigfoot books and not have it all in there. And that was the thing. It almost had to cherry pick certain things to, to sort of represent, you know, the best of what's there. But certainly you could, you could even hone in on an area and expand those sightings because you can, uh, you, you know, you can field so many from some of those areas like Tyler and, and other, other towns like that, which, you know, you're, you're fully familiar that, uh, especially if you go down in there and start talking to the locals, man, you're going to come up with this numerous sightings. Yeah. Tyler was the town I had in mind when I said, there's smaller cities that they're right there on the edge of town. That was the town I was thinking of. Right. And, you know, if you're driving down Interstate 20 towards Tyler, you know, it's just, you see, you know, a mass of pine trees on both sides. And, um, you know, you drive into the heart of the city and, and through it, you know, on the other side, there's more woods and, and just the whole thing is just very uh, squatchy territory. You know, I've never uh, t- said this publicly or anything, but uh, I saw something really weird. And I, and I don't, and you'll see why I don't talk about this. And it might, maybe it was a Sasquatch. I don't know what it was. Um, it was actually a few years ago, I was being driven to um, the Texas Bigfoot Conference. Um, and uh, I, was, I was in the back seat. And um, Tanya Knight, who's now passed away, but a good friend, a lovely person, she was driving. Wool Heater was in the passenger seat. And we we're driving out there. And uh, we're driving in the vicinity of Tyler somewhere. I don't know where it was. I wish I had the wherewithal to pay more attention at the time. As we're going, Wool Heater says, yeah, a lot of sightings happen around this this area. And I, oh, I, see, I can see why, you know, just woods as far as you can see sort of thing. And you know, we're, it's Texas. We're on, a, we're on those, you know, six lane each direction highways that you all have out there. And we're flying fast, man, 75, 80, probably. I don't know. And um, I'm looking off to the side and there's just woods, woods, woods. And then there's a power line cut for as far as you can see. It's as far as your eyes can go. Power line cut. And now, mind you, I, I'm driving west so i'm looking across the medium across the other various lanes going the opposite direction and then even from there it's probably another 800 yards or more to whatever i saw but i saw a black upright figure walking away from the tree line and it was a long ways away i don't know what it was but it was upright and it was all dark in color and in that one and a half seconds or two seconds that i had the opportunity to see it i swear i thought i saw an arm swing but I don't know what that was. And I'm thinking, gosh, darn it, was that one? And I remember just seeing it and go, and you know, like, I don't, when you, when you see something unusual like that or whatever, you're processing. And I, I saw this thing and it's like, then I kind of look ahead and I think, did I just, could that have, what? Could I? And then I, and I looked in the front seat and said, wait, no one would believe me, even if it was a Bigfoot. So I just, I just kind of filed that away. You're heading east then, right? Then not west. Oh, yeah, I was, head, I was heading east. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was heading east. I don't know what I said. But uh, I was heading west at the time, or east at the time. Sorry, um, yeah. And I saw this thing, and and I don't, I still don't know what it is, and I never will. And I can't say it was a Bigfoot, but I can't say it wasn't either. So I, I hope it was a Bigfoot, which is, I mean, not an uncommon sighting because I I can name quite a number of people that have come to me with that kind of similar. They saw it on a pipeline, something walked from the woods, dark shape, and sometimes they were like you driving 
you know, fairly fast and were unable to a hundred percent say what it was, but uh, certainly that's a sort of a recurring type sighting here. Yeah, I probably would have made a bigger to-do about it if I wasn't being driven to the Texas Bigfoot Conference. <laughs> I didn't want to make a big deal out of it because I was going to the conference and, you know, and, and I didn't want Wool Heater to tell people about it and then all that sort of stuff because I, I didn't know what it was. It wasn't very good. I don't I don't have anything to hang my hat on, so to speak. So um, it's just kind of one of those, huh, I wonder what that was. That was interesting. You were you were tripping because I talked to you like later that day and you were like, I saw something, I don't know what it was, but it was brown, solid color, arm swing, upright. But yeah, you saw it for like one and a half seconds or something. Yeah, however however long it would be driving that fast on the freeway there. So but, but I don't know. I don't know, kind of kind of a, a fun, interesting side bit. I don't really count that amongst the the, the side you know, the other sighting I think I had. So because there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, you know, yeah, you, you, you're going to get somebody, oh, yeah, this guy, right, you're driving to a Bigfoot conference and you saw Bigfoot. So, you know, it's the setup for uh, eyebrows to raise, but it's just, it is what it is, you know, and that's always the way to call these things. It's like, man, I, I can't say 100% what it was. Here's what I saw. And, and there you have it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I figure it's okay to share because I don't lie, man. I don't have to lie. Like, I don't know what it is. That's what I saw. There it is. Do what you want with it. That's kind of basically what I say uh, about the possible sighting I had last year. Oh, let's hear it. I haven't heard about this, Lyle. Lay it on us. Right. I have I've not told you this. Uh, I've only I've talked about it a few times. But so this was May 29th, 2021. I and my, my, so myself and my colleague Jerry Hestand and my girlfriend Ashley went up to Falk, and we were going to uh, go hang out at the Monster Mart, you know, visit visit our buddies there in Falk. And I was going to interview a woman who had sent me some pretty credible howls that she had recorded in an area, heavily wooded area south of Falk. So um, we were up there. We had been at the Monster Mart um, in late afternoon and hanging out. And after that, we were he- headed south towards the ladies' area, but we decided to go by this uh, area where there's a boat ramp at Mercer Bayou. And Mercer Bayou is part of the Sulphur River Bottoms, part of that Boggy Creek network. And we just wanted to see what the water level was and stuff. And this is an area where we normally do camp, and it's it's not a public campground or anything. It's, it's a good location to get some uh, seclusion. Um, and we were on this boat ramp, we were looking at these two cypress trees, which um, I was talking to Jerry about because you see them in one of the Monster Quest episodes, and Jerry was on that years ago. And as I'm looking at that across the bayou channel and past those trees about, I don't know, 60, 70 yards, uh, something caught my eye, and it looked like movement, something like a shadowy movement. And so I, I kind of focused, and I was trying to decide if if I was just looking at an illusion, the way that the leaves were moving, it was a, kind of a slight breeze. Um, and then I, I kind of saw it again, and I'm thinking, nah, I think it was the trees. And right after that, about maybe 15 yards behind that, I see something that was very red move diagonally across between uh, trees and sort of you know disappear behind the other trees. And I couldn't see enough of it to, you know, I, there was no, I didn't see legs. Um, I didn't really see 
necessarily arms or any sort of a bobbing movement. It just like something fluidly moved right across there. And whatever it was, it had to be quite big because in order to even see it, because if it was something like a, a, a fox or something, what else would be red? You know, I wouldn't have seen it because it would be too low to the ground. So immediately I'm, I've told them, and ne- of course, neither one of them saw it and it happened kind of fast. And, you know, I'm thinking, what could that be? Well, that land over there, there's no, there's no roads, there's no four-wheeler roads, there's no hiking trails, there's no people. It's, it's public land, part of the Sulphur River Wildlife Management Area. And, you know, you can't even get to it unless you have a boat because you, you can't just wade across this bayou. There's a bunch of alligators in there and it's deep and dark and black. Um, and we didn't have a boat at the time, so I couldn't go over there. But I was thinking, what did I just see? Now, here's the thing. It was it was quite red in color, orangish red. It stood out, so there was no doubt that I saw something that wasn't, it wasn't a tree, it wasn't a log or any of that, and it was definitely moving and moved out of sight. When we were at the Monster Mart just 20 minutes earlier, we had just spoken to a local who said he had seen, quote-unquote, the creature, the Falk Monster, run right across the road, and he said to him, it looked pretty much like an orangutan. It was reddish in color, and it was ape-like, and it ran across the road. Well, there I am, 20 minutes later, down there, and I see a reddish something in those woods. So, again, I can't 100% say that was, you know, the Falk monster or a Bigfoot, but I've eliminated what else it could be. Um, and we later came back when we had a boat at a few months later, went over there and sort of did the, you know, the, the finding Bigfoot estimation using a buddy as, you know, like Bobo would, where we tried to figure out how tall and how, what the distance was. And I certainly eliminated any other, like, like I said, a fox or any of this other stuff. Um, you know, it's not a car or any other red thing because there's no roads. You know, we found game trails and logs and all the other things that um, make it a, you know, sort of a rugged terrain where, uh, and there's no people. So that's... I'll say it for you, Lyle. You saw one. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I, you're I, welcome. <laughs> there you go. You know, you're in a way you're almost a victim in the uh, of your sighting in the same in, in a parallel way of, as me because as I was driving to a Bigfoot conference, you know, so the skeptics would have a heyday with that one, right? And you had just been told about uh, an orangutan colored Sasquatch just 20, 30 minutes beforehand. Um, skeptics, of course, would say that oh, they just planted that seed and it grew. It's suggestion, blah blah blah. You fooled yourself, etc. So. Kind of as a, a similar um, sad circumstance for both of us, <laughs> right? Right, and you know, and in that, you know, it does have that element. But definitely, I wouldn't, you know, and I, I hear a lot of sightings, and it, it's not the first time I've heard somebody uh, say that the creature was reddish in color. So you know, it was just I just sort of cataloged and filed it in my mind, and I'm kind of focused more on okay, we're going to go interview this woman. So when I saw that red, you know, it was the only, it was only in retrospect that I was like, wow, I just saw this red thing walk right across there. That guy just told us about a red, you know, he recently had a sighting of a, of a red creature. 
So at that point, I drew the comparison, but as I was looking at those woods, I was sort of a blank canvas because I was really just looking at the cypress trees um, because we, uh, we like to look at them because they change over time. And so that's kind of just interesting because we, we go there a lot. So, you know, of course, once it happens, then you're like, you know, then they're drilling shoots. I'm like, did y'all see that? And I'm freaking out. And they're like, what? You know? Oh, man. That's the worst. When you see something or hear something that's obvious and everyone else missed it, you're like, I swear, I swear. Right, right. You know, and Ashley's like, man, I was looking at the water. I mean, she was literally looking just moments from, you know, seconds later or earlier, if she looked up, she would have seen it as well, which would have been helpful because then I had, you know, some comparison as to what did you see? Here's what I saw. You should hope, though, if you got, maybe I'll see the next one better, you know. Exactly. And then, of course, I knew I was onto the right area because this is a place where we've been howled at. Something kind of followed us in the woods. There's been uh, other people reporting stuff. A really good friend of mine heard a really, really good wood knock, this kind of thing. So I know I'm in the right area. And now I double know I'm in the right area. So, you know, it's just a place we'll continue to go to. And maybe next time I can see it more clearly. Okay, Lyle. So um, uh, your new book is out, Texas Bigfoot. And of course, you have your Monster Bizarro podcast, which seems to be going on strong. Anything else you'd like to share with us about something coming up that people can uh, come meet you in person or some other event? Coming up, let's see, December 10th, the second annual Texas Bigfoot Film Festival. And this is kind of fun because we they uh, you get to watch all these manner of Bigfoot films uh, from various years. and. Uh, there's so many of those been made. You get to watch them on the big screen. So that's a fun event that's uh, been happening, and that's in Marshall, Texas. And of course, uh, I know spooky season just ended with Halloween being over. But any Ghoul Town gigs where people come check out your music? Yes, uh, we have a show in Dallas on January the seventh, and then we will be doing some more dates and possibly some tour dates next year. Um, and we have some stuff. You, we have a a date in Arizona and, and lots of other stuff. So yeah, uh, watch for Ghoul Town because we're going to try to get out there and do do some uh, shows next year for sure. Well, Lyle, thank you so much for coming on Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and the Bobes. Really appreciate it. It's always good to catch up with you, my friend. Hopefully I'll see you soon anyway. But thank you very, very much for coming on again. And good luck with Texas Bigfoot. Um, go to lyleblackburn.com if you want to buy it. Right? Is that the best place to buy it or should they go to Amazon, Lyle? What do you think? What's the best for you? Well, either either or is fine. Uh, yeah, if you want autograph copies, go to lyleblackburn.com and hit the shop link. But, uh, you know, Amazon is a great way. Just however you get it, get it. And please leave a review. All those reviews really help. Awesome. Hey, what's your next Monster Bizarro, Lyle? What's your next topic? The next one is going to be a topic that people have been asking, asking about since I started. I'm going to do a two-parter on the Beast of Boggy Creek. Ooh, awesome. Can't wait, man. Well, thanks for coming on. The authoritative one. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you so much, Lolly. It's always great to talk to you. Absolutely. Always enjoy it, guys. All right, have a good one, Lyle. See ya. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Check out Lyle Blackburn at lyleblackburn.com. Check us out wherever you can listen to podcasts. Hit like, hit share. Give us a five-star review. And we're going to be doing some Patreon extra episodes, so check into that. You want to hear some more of us every week? Until next time, y'all keep it squatchy.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 